This morning's scripture reading will be taken from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. And then we will skip down to verse 8 and read through verse 12. The Pew Bibles, that's on page 435. Now all of the people gathered together as one man in an open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra and the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly of men and women, and all who could hear with the understanding of the first day on the seventh month. Then he ran and read it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday, before men and women and those who could understand And the ears of all the people were attentive to the law of the book. So they read distinctively from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense, and they helped them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep. For all the people wept. When they heard the words of the law, then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow for the Lord. Do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people saying, be still for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions and rejoice greatly, because they understood the words that were declared to them. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, again, we welcome you. Thank you so much for being here. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Be sure and pick up a calendar of events for 2007. Uh, They are the blue sheets of paper this size out in the foyer. Be sure and pick those up and start marking your calendar. Uh, Of course, almost all of the events that we'll be participating in as a congregation are on there. And be sure and block out the major events that pertain to you. And let's be sure that we place God the top priority in our life. Uh, That ought to be the first things that we pencil in our calendar is what God's will for us as a church family. And let's make sure that we give our very best to planning to be in a part of God's family in a productive way. And that's why we take the effort to put the calendar out so that Uh, That can be a priority in our life. What's your strength? If you had to get out a piece of paper right now and write down, what is my strength? And then answer it. What would you put? Many of you probably list an ability, a talent that God has given you. Some might list some kind of physical attribute. Maybe you believe it's strength or height. Maybe someone else might mention financial leverage. God's blessed you tremendously and you're able to use that to accomplish a lot. Maybe someone else would mention an opportunity that God's given you in your life and you're very grateful for that opportunity and you're using that opportunity and you believe that that opportunity is a strength in your life. Now, all those things could be wonderful strengths used to glorify God. Let me ask you this morning. 
I wonder if we looked at everybody's piece of paper, if anyone, even one person would have said, my strength is the joy of the Lord. Do what? What if you would have looked over at your neighbor while they were writing their strengths down, and you're thinking about some ability you have, and you noticed your neighbor just simply wrote, the joy of the Lord. Would you have thought, they misunderstood the question. We're we're supposed to be writing our strengths down this morning. And from time to time throughout 2007, if the Lord wills time, I hope that you and I can study the topic of the joy of the Lord together so that by the end of the year, there would be many of us that would believe in the joy of the Lord. So much that we would declare without hesitation, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Why do some people get through a day, through a week, through a difficult year, through a challenging time, and others don't? Could it be the difference in understanding and receiving the joy of the Lord? You see, there's a lot of people there like Groucho Marx. It said that as he entered an elevator, he saw a religious man there on the elevator, and that religious man put his hand on his shoulder and said, Groucho, I want to thank you for all the joy you've brought into the world. He put his hand on the religious man's shoulder, and he said, I want to thank you for all the joy you've taken out of the world. Now, that's the way some people view religion. Well, if you're going to be religious, you're going to have to take all the joy out of your life. If you're going to be a religious community, you're not going to have any great entertainment in your community. Because after all, religious people have no fun. You're going to have to be stoic. You're going to have to be melancholy. You're going to have to be bored. And if you can get down to the very sheer boredom of life, you found God. Friends, that's what some people believe Christianity is all about. And that's such a sad, sad myth. This morning, let's think about joy. In a book called Shattered Dreams, Larry Crabb says this, People who insist on happiness never find joy. Happiness is a result of favorable circumstances and a transit in nature. But joy remains. Even during unfavorable circumstances, joy is a calmness that runs beneath life's storms. It is a delight that stills the heart and anchors the soul. And so it is, we see that the joy that the Lord brings into our life is so much deeper than just an emotional response of happiness that is only a response to things that are favorable. But we can have joy when things are favorable. And we can have the joy of the Lord even in the darkest night in the deepest valley. I like what a third century man said as he was anticipating his death. He wrote this particular letter to a friend. He said, It is a bad world, an incredibly bad world. But I have discovered in the midst of a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. Now, do you believe that about Christianity? That the joy of Christianity is a thousand times better than anything the sinful life has to bring? That's what we're going to study today, but even throughout the year. And I hope that we come to see through the lies of Satan and the deception of Satan who tries to convince us that we're missing out 
if we've decided to live the Christian life, but to see really we've gained everything if we decide to live the Christian life. He continues, they are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people are the Christians, and I am one of them. So I ask you again, what is your strength? Can you say like Nehemiah said, In Nehemiah, the 8th chapter in verse 10, that's already been capably read for us. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Now, wait a minute. What did he need strength for? He he must have been talking about strength to build back Jerusalem. Strength to build back that temple. Strength to build back the wall. Keep in mind the setting here. Those things have already begun and are well underway. The wall is finished at this time. Why is he talking now about needing the strength of the Lord? Just a quick reminder. You remember that Israel had been taken into Babylonian captivity. And for 70 years they were there. And finally they were allowed. A remnant was allowed to return back to Jerusalem. It had been about 100 years since they had returned back. They were supposed to build back this grand city of Jerusalem. They were supposed to build back a temple. Not anything like the temple that was there. It was pretty insignificant compared to that previous temple. But even that, they had been lax. They'd work a little while and enemies would threaten them and so they would stop the work. They'd work on the wall a little bit and enemies would threaten them and they would stop. They would get scared and they would stop the work. And so now almost a hundred years has passed and Ezra comes back. And Ezra tries to get them to turn back to the law of God. And they were not faithful. They had lost their religion. They had lost their way. The truth is, they didn't even know what the will of God was anymore. Not only had they stopped obeying it, they stopped studying it. They didn't know it. And now Nehemiah, you remember Nehemiah, the first chapter, he's over in Babylon and he hears word that his people are in distress and the walls are torn down and the gates are still burned and he sits down and he weeps, he cries, he mourns and he prays for 40 days. And finally he gets the courage to go and stand before the king and ask if he could go back and and to rebuild the wall. He did go back and he organized the troops and he called them to rebuild the wall to glorify God. And they did. 52 days later, the wall is finished. And so now many times in our minds, we would say, well, the book of Nehemiah is over. Friends, that's just the beginning of the book of Nehemiah. The real meat in Nehemiah is still coming up. The real meat is what we're reading about here in Nehemiah, the eighth chapter. It's where people that have lost their way decide... We want something different in our life. We want something returned that our forefathers had that we've lost. This morning, you may look in your life at what you had at one time and see that you're no longer on the path with Christ that you used to be. You may look around at family or friends that are faithful Christians and you observe them and you realize you don't have the joy that they have. This morning... I beg you as we study these scriptures together to realize that God wants you to know His joy. Let's scan just a few of these verses just to remind us of the setting. And then let's think about this great joy that belongs to the Lord that He wants to offer us. As we go back and look again in Nehemiah the 8th chapter and verse 1, and we're only going to scan these, but see in verse 1, all the people were gathered together... As one man. 
In other words, it's not like a huge crowd of people in the mall at Christmas time where where the crowd is scurrying from place to place. Oh, it's a huge crowd. Everyone's gathered there in front of the water gate. But they're gathered as one person. They've come for one purpose. And that purpose is, we see at the end of verse 1, they told Ezra the scribe. Notice, it was them telling Ezra. They knew something was missing. They told Ezra to bring out the book of the law of Moses. They wanted to see what the Lord commanded Israel. They were Israel. We want to know, what is God's message for us? This was in the seventh month. Now, the interesting tag to this is, we see that the wall was finished on the 25th day of the sixth month. We read a little further in this same chapter, and we see that this is taking place the first day of the seventh month. So in other words, the wall is finished. Just a few days have passed, and the people still want something else. Friends, Let me note this. When I base my religion around the fact of task, I'm going to find myself just like these people. Oh, I tell you what, I just don't know what I would do if if I didn't have that shut-in ministry and the meals on wheels. That's really where I find my purpose in life. That's where I really find my relationship with God. That's where... You have to have a task in order to find God? Someone says, now preacher, you've been preaching for years how important it is to be involved. Yeah. We can't do without being involved in the Lord's kingdom. What's the point? The point is they just finished a huge task. They just built a wall back in 52 days. And you know what? It didn't make them one with God. If I believe I'm going to serve my way into a right relationship with God, I'm kidding myself. I can be busy in the work of the church seven days a week and not be right with God. Here were people, if they wanted to gloat about a great success, who else had ever built back a wall in 52 days? But you know what? They realized, even after that great success, something was missing in their life. And what they're going to find out was missing was the joy of the Lord. Let's scan on a few more verses. See, in verse 3, they ask him to read from morning into midday. Most scholars say that was probably around five to six hours. As we read deeper in the chapter, we see that they ask him to come out and to read to them every day for at least a week. So can you imagine the people coming out and they're standing there, they're sitting and they're listening to the Word of God read. Ezra read it. Also, there were 13 others that stood and read with him. And then there was another group that would uh, either translate or, or help explain what that meant to them because they had completely ignored the law for so long, they had to begin at square one. And so we see in Nehemiah, the eighth chapter in verse six, at the end of the reading of the law, notice what all the people said, amen, amen. Now that's significant because that law would have convicted them. Friends, they didn't hear the reading of the law and sit there and say, my family does that. Yes, as Israel, we do that. Yes, we've kept that holy day. Yes, we've made that offering. Friends, they would have heard passage after passage after passage where they would have said, I'm guilty. We don't do that. Oh, we haven't done that. I don't ever remember doing that. We've got to start doing that. Passage after passage, they were convicted of sin. And instead of trying to make excuses, instead of trying to belittle what God's will is, instead of trying to make themselves look better than what they actually were, the response each time was, Amen. So be it, God. 
so be it. Friends, whenever I'm willing to hear God's Word and not change God's Word, but to change my life, that is the best amen that I will ever say. Now notice what happened in verse 8. They read distinctly from the book in the law of God and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. When they understood the reading, notice what happened at the end of verse 9. At the end of verse 9, all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Wait a minute, I thought we were studying about the joy of the Lord. And what we're going to see that there's always something that prefaces the joy of the Lord. And it's the heartbreaking tears of the fact that we have sinned against God. And so the result of this is the explanation in verse 10 that God doesn't want us to remain in that guilt sense. He doesn't want us to remain day in and day out beating ourselves up, crying over our sins. Although that sorrow is necessary to lead us to the Lord, the Lord wants us in verse 10, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. What does that mean for us? Friend, I want you to think again about that phrase, the joy of the Lord. When we think about that phrase, it reminds us of the origin of the joy. And that is, it's not earthly. The joy that we're studying about is from the Lord. It's an elevated joy. It's not something that you and I can go about with earthly standards, our carnal nature, our fleshliness, and we can put our hands on it and we can say, that's what I want. It's a joy that when we have it, the only way we have it is because we have received it from God. Look again at the 8th chapter and verse 1 as we think about if we're going to have this joy, we're going to have to look up. Notice what these people did. At the end of verse 1, they said to Ezra, bring us the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. They knew something was missing in their life, and what that was missing in their life was the Lord, His blessings, His way in their life. We're going to have to decide if we believe that the Lord really offers the life to live. Do we believe that the Lord offers the greatest joy that is to be found? Now, as we're contemplating this, I want to remind you, in maybe the most lowest form, without mentioning specific sins, I want to remind you the source of what would be earthly joy, which is very temporary. If you want to turn back or if you want to see the screen, for time's sake, I'm only going to refer to it. But you remember in Genesis, the third chapter, the first sin that took place. The servant came into the garden and you remember that he tempted Eve and then Eve and Adam both sinned? And do you remember when the Lord was passing out the punishment for the sin? Do you remember when he turned to uh, the serpent? Do you remember what he said to the serpent there in the third chapter in verse 14? He said, on your belly, at the very end of 14, on your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. What is God saying? God is placing him in a lowly, dirty state. Now the next time I think that God can't bring joy, just keep in mind, whatever I think is going to bring joy comes from that source. The belly of dust. Oh, I'd like to be a Christian, but it just robs me of the real entertainment in life. Let me just crawl down in the dust with Satan. That's where real joy comes from. Oh, I want to find my real joy in life comes from power. I want to be a powerful being. I want to get down in the dust with Satan because it's all about me. Lying, popularity, gossip, fornication, addictions, you name it. People do those things searching for joy, for some kind of satisfaction. And every time 
When I do that, I'm saying, Lord, I don't really believe in your joy. I believe that the greatest thing that I can do right now is to lie down in the dirt with Satan. That's going to bring me real joy. Satan, on the other hand, is going to lie to us. He's going to deceive us. He's going to try to make us believe that real joy, lasting joy, is what he has to offer. Friends, this morning I beg us, let's open our eyes and let's think about where does real joy come from? The real source of joy is from above. There's no exception in that. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Well, where do I find out about this? Well, when I want to find out about my responsibility toward it and all the promises that God gives in relation to it, I have to go to His Word. I have to look into, look if you will, Just a little further, go down to Nehemiah the 8th chapter in verse 2. And notice, again, you remember there in verse 1 and and 2, they were asking Ezra to bring out the law that the Lord had given uh, Israel. And look in Nehemiah the 8th chapter in verse 2. They brought the law before the assembly, and all the people were there, and they could hear and understand. And verse 3, they stayed there from morning into noon, or to midday. Now I want you to notice at the end of verse 3, this is interesting to me. Notice the wording. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Now, depending on what translation you're reading, were attentive is probably in italics because that's not in the original language because there is no Hebrew for attentiveness. And so what the original text would read is the ears of the people were on the book of the law. You know how like we'll say, did you see them? Their eyes were on the book of the law. Well, we don't usually think about someone's ears being on the book of the law. But that would be the Hebrew way to say they were attentive. They were out there from the first thing in the morning to to midday. They were out there five or six hours. But remember how they were out there? It's one people. One people with their ear on the law. I want to know now. What does God want in my life? We've been back here about a hundred years. We've tried to build back a city and we haven't done very well. We've tried to build back a temple and we've not done very well. We finally now have a new leader. We have a governor named Nehemiah and he's getting us to focus on things that are important. And we now have come to understand something. What's missing in our life is we're missing the Lord. Bring out the law that the Lord spoke to Israel. Our ears will be on that law. We want to know the will of God. As we think about receiving the joy of the Lord, can we be described as the Bereans, where we come into the assemblies and with a readiness of mind, we want to hear the Scriptures. And we go back home and we search the Scriptures daily to see if those things are so. Friends, those are people that find the joy of the Lord. The people that are willing to look into the written Word of God. Romans the 10th chapter, verse 1, 2, and 3 tells us of a sad condition. There were people that actually looked at themselves as very religious to God, but they didn't believe in Jesus Christ the Savior. And you say, how could anyone do that? Well, in that particular text, he says they did it because they were zealous for God without knowledge. A dangerous combination is to be zealous for God 
and not care if we know the Word of God. I want to state that again. It's so important. I believe it describes too many of us. A dangerous description is when we are zealous for God and we do not care if we know the Word of God. Friends, we can give lip service about how fired up we are about God and we're involved in this ministry and we're going over to this place and we're doing this good deed. After all, look, we've started building the temple back and we've just finished the wall in 52 days. And guess what? They didn't even know the law that God asked them. And what they were missing, they were missing the joy of the Lord. They were going to have to look within. Look, if you will, to Nehemiah, the 8th chapter and verse 9. And then that takes us over to 10. When they did finally hear the law of the Lord, it crushed their spirits, broke their heart. They wept and they mourned. Why? Why sometimes... Do we see people come to the front? And they ask to be baptized into Christ. Sometimes they cry first. Why sometimes when someone comes forward to rededicate their life? Why do they cry? That, that's supposed to be a great day. Friends, I'm not saying it has to happen at the very moment someone responds publicly. I'm telling you from the Word of God, it's not a true response if there hasn't been a broken heart for the sins we've committed against God. God ought to be proud of me. Well, I'm one of the people that helped build back the wall. Look what God owes me. Well, I'm one of the ones that keeps this church going. Look what God owes me. Friend, God doesn't owe you anything. i tell you what we owe God. We owe God more than we can repay. And we've all committed sin against God. Why would I do this wickedness and sin against God? Joseph said to Potiphar's wife. Friends, I've got to realize that sin breaks the heart of God. And if I'm going to be like God, and if I'm ever going to come to know the joy of God, Sin has to break my heart too. Look with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians, the 7th chapter. In 2 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, we have a description of this kind of godly sorrow. Look in verse 10, 2 Corinthians 7 and 10. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Notice here, there is a sorrow of the world and there's a godly sorrow. Godly sorrow leads to salvation. Notice it's not salvation, it leads to salvation. But there's a sorrow of the world. I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry that I'm embarrassed. I'm, I'm sorry that I'm going to have to suffer consequences for, for the sin I've committed. There's a lot of sorrow of the world. But what's the sorrow that is a godly sorrow? Godly sorrow is, I'm sorry I've sinned against God. I'm sorry I have violated the will of God. And what does that do? Notice this. That is not repentance. That is the condition that leads to repentance. Repentance is the change of life. It's the change of heart. It's the change in turn from the world into God, from self into the Lord. That change can only genuinely take place whenever 
I've had genuine sorrow for my sin. That's why as we go over to Psalms 51, notice if you will, Psalms 51 in verse 3, 4, and 17, notice how he talks about his transgression as always against God. And notice how in verse 17, he says what he offers to God is what he knows God wants. A broken and a contrite heart. Broken being shattered. My heart is broken. The, the idea of a mental or physical collapse. Have you ever described someone like that? Well, they just had a mental collapse. You know what a contrite heart is? A contrite heart is literally a spiritual collapse in the heart where the person says... I am shattered. I can't go on like this. I'm helpless. I need God. I'm sorry for the sin I've committed. And whenever we find that kind of heart, we can recognize the rest of David's prayer. Look in 7, 8, and 12. Notice how he says oh, he wants to be clean in 7, washed, whiter than snow. Notice what he wants to hear again. Joy and gladness. The bones that have been broken. What's that? That's the sins of the heart. He wants those broken bones now to rejoice. That's why he says in 12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. David's missed something. At one time he had the joy of the Lord. Now he's committed sin. And now he recognizes, I'm missing what I once had. And he's sorry. And he weeps. And his heart is broke. And he says, I want to know the joy of salvation again. This morning, I want to ask you, do you have the joy that is from the Lord? That's the kind of joy that strengthens us. It's not just an emotional, whimsical feeling. It's a deep, inner peace that strengthens us. You died and it's judgment day. What will you hear? You've been trying to make it on your own? You won't make it on your own in judgment day. On the day of judgment, how many will say, I just had one more time, one more chance, one more opportunity. I'd give my life to God, my whole being. I wouldn't hold back. God's given you an opportunity this week that we don't have in many years. See, our calendar is a little bit odd this year if you want to count Sundays. Today is the 53rd Sunday of 2006. Someone says, oh, if I just had 25 hours in a day, or if I just had five weeks in a month, or if I just had 13 months in a year. Friends, what if you had 53 Sundays? What would you do with that extra one? Wouldn't it be foolish to stand on the Day of Judgment And know that we've squandered every opportunity that God has given us to know His joy. He just wants to make our life better. My cousin, she's 58. 
she parked her car Wednesday. As she walked about 10 feet from the car to the door, she told her mother, my chest is squeezing. She walked about eight more feet to the couch and she laid down. Her mother walked to the mailbox and when her mother came back, she's dead. She won't have 53 Sundays this year. God's given you a gift. You can accept it, use it and say, I'm going to grow closer to God today. Or you can squander another one. But those gifts will run out. Let's all respond privately or publicly. Let's all commit ourselves anew to God and declare, I want the joy of the Lord. I want that to be my strength. If you need to be baptized into Christ or if you need to be restored, if we can help.